Grace, mercy, and peace to you from the Holy Trinity. Amen. Approximately one year ago, I joined a Facebook event that was called Post-Rapture Looting, or something like that, while I was toasting the end of the world with some friends. We figured that a toast was a reasonable way to end the world, because if we were raptured, we'd be appropriately celebrating. And if we were left behind, we'd have something to numb our sadness at not being one of God's chosen. (laughs) Obviously, there was no rapture, and I didn't get to loot any of those fancy mansions of the really good Christians like those prosperity gospel TV preachers. Such is life. But moments in history when people are sure the apocalypse will happen are nothing new. Just in my lifetime alone, the world was supposed to end several times already. The guy who wrote the book of Revelation, who we call John of Patmos, had a vision in a jail cell about what the end of time was going to look like. And we heard part of that vision today in our readings. But there is a big distinction between that vision that John had and the vision that the Left Behind series had. And that difference has to do with heaven. Today, thanks to the Left Behind book series, pop Christian theology, and the ever-present praise song, society and the church have both kind of gotten into this mindset that heaven is somewhere you get to go after you die, that there's some sort of pearly gates you pass through and you get a mansion and a gardener and someone to do your ironing if you're one of the lucky ones who had enough faith or prayers or spirituality on earth. Heaven seems like kind of this great timeshare that you get to fly to and stay with no limit because there's magically enough room for everyone who is worthy of entry. On the other hand, this view of heaven means that earth is not the place you want to be. It's just a place to pack your bags while you wait for the eternal life of something much better and less crowded. I get that. I get why heaven, being a place that's far off in some distant galaxy far, far away, is appealing to people. It's appealing because, at least right now, Earth doesn't seem like a very good place to live. Given the choice, I think we'd rather have paradise than shootings at pot rallies and schools and movie theaters in our own hometown. I think we'd rather choose living with God than living with no one. I think we'd rather have eternal mental health than a lifetime on Earth with depression. I would rather live in heaven where I wouldn't ever have to think about what it will be like to leave a community I love. It's so appealing to think about that day when we all just fly up, up, and away to something better and something shinier and something more fulfilling than what we have here on earth. But unlike preachers and pop Christian lyric composers who want to see heaven as anything but here and now, John of Patmos in Revelation shows us a different heaven. John shows us a heaven in light of the resurrection, and that heaven is here on earth. God's home is not somewhere far off among the stars. Revelation tells us the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them, and they will be God's peoples, and God himself will be with them. And so while I hope for life we have after we die to be a life with God and each other somehow glorified and made new, The details of how that will work are unknowable on this side of everlasting life. But what we do know for certain, what John is saying to us, is that God has chosen to dwell with us here. God has chosen this place as his heavenly home. So that means that heaven is in Boston, and heaven is in Texas, and the 16th Street Mall, and heaven is in the places that the media doesn't pick up on deportations, white people murdering people of color, school bullies, workplace bullies. 
Heaven is in those places. But our tears are also in those places too. Tears that fall for ourselves and for our situations. Tears that fall for those close to us in our lives. And tears that fall for people we don't even know. Tears that fall and cloud our vision, blocking our view of God's mercy, sometimes making us unable to see our lives as they are, that God is with them. And yet, our God promises to make all of these things new. God promises to wipe away your tears. God's promise to wipe away tears doesn't just confine itself to tears you may have shed about how messed up our world is a world where children can get assault rifles and single moms can't feed their babies. God's promise to wipe away tears is so broad that God even wipes away tears of anger, curbing our need for revenge against Jokar Sarnaev. God wipes away tears of hatred that you shed toward yourself when you look in the mirror or when you read that poem you wrote that just doesn't fit together correctly or when you think about how often you find yourself deleting your browser history. God wipes away tears and promises to make all things new, a new heaven and a new earth, a new heaven where God will dwell with us and in us, a new heaven where God will raise the dead and unite them with the living, a new heaven where God comes to us, disregarding our overcrowded earth and dwindling resources, because when God comes to live with us, God doesn't care about space. With God present in our lives and in our world, there is always room. There's room for people who have never gotten a speeding ticket, and there's room for those people convicted of felonies. There's room for those of you who have families who love you. And there's room for those of you whose families have cast you out. There's room for all of you who like Doctor Who. And there's room for all of you who would rather watch Here Comes Honey Boo Boo. There's room for everyone. Because in God's world, here with us, God makes all things new, which means God creates space for all of us and all things. God resurrects the parts of the world and the parts of our lives that we would rather bury and not have space for. God resurrects those parts and not only brings them alive in us and in the world, but God renews them. Because our God is not a God of stagnation like a sludge-covered pool, but our God is a God of new life like a mountain stream gushing water from the rocks around it, cool and refreshing. Our God is a God of Easter, not content to be confined to a tomb for eternity, but only content wiping away our tears, bringing our dead back to life and redeeming the unredeemable. I can't bring myself to imagine a God that doesn't make his home among mortals, removed, enjoying his celestial mansions and golden brick roads and cloud pillars and calorieless chocolate. But I don't have to imagine a God like that, because I know a God who lives among us. I know a God who picked a peasant girl to give birth to Christ, God's Son, who came to live with us. I know a God who is present with us in bread and wine and the forgiveness of sins. I know a God who wipes away our tears, a God who destroys death, and a God who makes all things, both earthly and heavenly things, new, even us. Amen.